What's up, Hold the Gravy listeners? Thank you for joining me today. This is your host again, Hunter Romero. Really appreciate you clicking once again on another episode of Hold the Gravy Podcast, y'all. We are still in single-digit episodes, and for those of you giving this a chance and just trying it out and seeing what it's about, I can't thank you enough. And these episodes really mean the most to me, and they really help me out the most. For uh, any anybody that's out there listening and, and wants to give any advice to a fresh podcaster, but I'm, I'm really digging it and I'm really talking to some incredible people and, and people that have inspired me year after year. And uh, there is an abundance of talented, creative, just really special people in Louisiana that I have on my very long list of future interviews. And again, I just can't thank you enough for joining us on on the single digit episode still. And uh, we're growing, y'all. We're growing slowly. Hold the Gravy podcast is coming at you live from South Louisiana. We were out in Delcom, Louisiana this past Saturday morning. It was the final market at the Delcom Seafood and Farmers Market for the 2021 year. And it was such a great turnout and it was such a good time out there right by the water. The shrimp boat came in. It was one of the first shrimp boats to come in in about six weeks. It has not been the best shrimping season this fall, but boy, the people were lining up once they heard he was coming in and uh, pretty sure he sold out in a couple of hours and I think a lot of vendors were selling some good products to eat, to drink, to wear, to smell, all of it. And it was uh, it was just beautiful. And we recorded a lot of interviews out there with some really special friends of mine and met a lot of new people. And it was just a really great way to finish out Seafood and Farmer's Market season out in Delcom, Louisiana. But today, we got two more episodes from the Bayou Tesh Museum that we recorded live in their museum. We were working and collaborating with them and the Smithsonian Institute with their newest exhibit titled Waterways. And it was everything Louisiana. It was everything about water. Our last guest, Mr. Thomas Emel, he told us so much about this beautiful sportsman's paradise that we have This is the place where you want to eat all your fresh seafood from and living off the land is no surprise to many people over here. Today's guest is a special guest and you may notice already from clicking on episode seven, I share the same last name with this guest. And yes, we are related. He is my blood. He is my uncle. He is my godfather. His name is Mr. Roddy Romero. I've spoke with this man my entire life. Uh, It was honestly our first time speaking through microphones and headphones. So again, I'm apologizing for a couple of rookie mistakes on my end from the gear sort of falling. We are uh, a podcast on the go still and our mic stands are going through a bit of a transition with our fold up white table. So I really hope you can understand and the guests are very gracious and, and forgiving during our interviews. And look, we don't skip a beat. 
So I'm going to make it quick. This man has a long resume in the state of Louisiana. I call him Parrain as a young kid. Not so much lately, but um, if he ever says, hey, I'm your Parrain boy, I would probably still have to call him Parrain. He is the celebrated frontman. He had a Grammy nomination and multiple international tours under his belt and was witnessing the magic of Cajun and Zydeco music in his own backyard with my grandparents and his parents. So we just shared some stories. We talked a lot about when he was younger and and using uh, days off of school to go and, and fish the waterways here in South Louisiana, all the all the best bayous, catching and cooking all the best shrimp. And really, and my grandfather, Pawsey, as we call him, just really instilling and passing down the traditions of of Louisiana cuisine and and living off the land to him, to my father, to their sisters, and then, of course, to my generation and my cousins. So it is a big honor for me to sit here and discuss my family, the Romero name, and hearing what what my uncle has to say about it. And uh, I'm going to keep this one quick. He actually brought his guitar in studio as well. So he has a couple of unique versions that he's going to share with of some original songs of his. And uh, hey, let's actually kick this off with his own version of Riverside. Here's Roddy Romero at Bayou Tesh Museum. I think it's all right as long as it's out the way. Are we sponsored by Sure? Yeah, <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying at least. <laughs> you sure do have a bunch of these, uh, what SM78s? The Michael Jackson mic. I figured, you know, it's a, uh, it's like the pick of destiny when uh, Jack Black's looking through the magazines and he sees the pic and he's like i was i was looking through microphones and i saw everybody that that's right as anybody had this microphone so i said well that must, must be, be the good. one must be good hmm. well if you uh if you want to listen to in the microphone you i mean in the headphones you definitely can okay. but it's up to you it's all the same but uh we are here at the bayou tesh museum and we're just uh we're rolled right through it really i'm i'm recording testing levels sounds good in here cool You want to start us off with a, a rendition of a song? Just well, sure, to, absolutely. Let's I'd start it. To. Let's start it with some grooves. 
How about some music first? <laughs> Get this thing prepared. Okay. This is a song about a river, maybe. knees front porch loving just you and me where I'm from should be no surprise gulf wind blows across the big blue skies sweet potato and black eyes Loving just you and me Take my hand, let's walk for a while I give you a kiss just to see you smile Come on baby, let's dream for a while By the riverside By the riverside the riverside hold the gravy oh had to had to turn me up right there i had to hear more of you on that one man that was so nice right on that was a one-of-a-kind version of riverside by mr roddy romero here live at the bayou tesh museum we're here with hold the gravy podcast all right this is a uh this is a newer project that I've been I've been working with some great folks over at the Delcom Seafood and Farmers Market on and uh getting it off the ground really this year and and this late fall season really really kicking it into overdrive with some awesome projects, some awesome collaborations with Bayou Tesh and uh with some other people we were at the Gumbo Cookoff a couple weeks back right down the street actually. And uh, in downtown New Iberia, so I'm getting acquainted with that Highway 90 commute a little bit, you know. That's right. Well, it's my honor to be here. Uh, you called. I said yes. Here we are. Well, I probably call you a lot, and you probably say <laughs> yes to a whole bunch because this is my blood. This That's is my right. uncle right here. And uh, so, you know, we, I've been a fan of, of yours for long time whether i whether i knew it or not so <laughs> you had to yeah <laughs> can i adjust this real quick whatever you need okay thanks. absolutely the closer it is you know the better it sure Hello. it sounds having trouble looking at you and seeing you there we yeah, go i know i'm trying to get the angles right with these table setups <laughs> first time for me but yeah we were talking earlier about these microphones and how everybody has these microphones and michael jackson recorded with it and Frank Zappa did. I think he was even on stage when he had these microphones, which They're is great. They're just so true, I think. Um, I don't know much about the technical aspect of recording music. I should <laughs> for the last 30 plus years, but uh, uh, more of playing the music than uh, the recording process. But 
I'm sure you've had I've some great. I've sung on a few yeah. of these. Yes, you've had some great engineers that are probably used absolutely. These. Yeah, definitely. Out at Dockside Studio, one being John Porter, um, an English uh, gentleman that lived in New Orleans for a few years. Uh, he palled around with John Cleary for a while down there in the uh, Bywater, and uh, made s- several great uh, sounding re- recordings. Uh, he's one of those old record producers that's been in the business for decades and decades and has seen the heyday of recording when budgets were $150,000 to make a record. Um, We didn't have to pay that much money to him, thankfully, to record uh, the Gulfstream record, which some of it, most of it, actually the vocals were done at his house in the Bywater through these microphones. There you go. So what all you need is just a soundproof closet or that's all yeah well the as i remember it there was nothing soundproof about the room uh where he engineered in fact there were uh, french doors opening out to the backyard and there was this one crow that kept crowing uh in the tree in the back of the house during uh a song called creole nightingale so uh maybe uh maybe there was a connection i'm not sure yeah, I'm going to have to listen, <laughs> listen closer on that, that recording. I think you can hear it uh, toward the middle to end of the song. That's awesome. How about that for record nerd? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, our family obviously born in, in Louisiana for many, many years and many generations. And uh, my father is, is Roddy's brother, and uh, he is my godfather and my uncle. And his parents obviously have instilled some some Cajun traditions in, in his life and then passed down to my, me and my cousins, really. So I just uh, had to give the people that, that didn't know what Romero is to, to South Louisiana. You know, it's, it's an interesting name, I guess, when you tell somebody, hey, my name's Hunter Romero or Roddy Romero. They're like, well, you don't, you don't really have any Spanish or, or anything in from the looks of me, I guess, but <laughs> yeah, I don't really know how to, how to go into that with, with people I meet off the street or people that just, you know, want to start up a Louisiana cultural sort of discussion, but maybe, you know, a little <clears throat> well, more. Well, um, I, I couldn't comment, uh, um, uh, thoroughly, uh, about it, but we are at the, uh, Bayou Tesh Museum here in the beautiful new Iberia, uh, the Iberian coast, uh, I suppose, where all of our ancestors from Malaga and uh, the Islanos uh, settled here in New Iberia, early, mid to 1700s. Um, so our Romero family um, was led by a settler called uh, Miguel Romero. Um, and I suppose we're a part of that lineage. Hmm. Um, where we start to mix with the other beautiful Cajun cultures is uh, uh, when uh, your grandfather uh, will refer to him as Pawsey. Uh, Pawsey met uh, your grandmother and will refer to her as Mozzie, uh, her being a Como, a French of Acadian descent. Uh, that's where things start to mix up and, and maybe that generation of uh, Cajuns and Spanish and and uh, 
Creoles and Germans, for that matter, started mixing this beautiful culture, this gumbo together. So uh, maybe that's my history and uh, historical speech. Yeah, and that's the depth I can go. That, I, I mean, it makes so much sense, you know. Still in the single Baby digit, steps. yeah, Baby single steps. digit episodes. Right. This is episode five, so <laughs> we're getting up there, you know. We're many years to come of this, and I've said once, I've said it again, but um, you know, thank you to the to the listeners for letting me get my feet under me and try to get my rhythm here as as somewhat of a somewhat of a host or a a culture spreader. I'll we'll congratulate you on number 105. There you go. That's what, that's, that's what I saw. That's what I'll tell every, every one of my friends and say, yeah, I'll send it to you on <laughs> at least double digits, you there know? There you go. <laughs> nice. But, I mean, we could, you know, we could talk forever about our own family, but we're here really to, to dive into what Bayou Tesh and what the water sort of means to this region and, you know, Thousands and thousands of years ago, Bayou Tesh was part of the Mississippi River, and then it just kind of disintegrated and went another way, you know, and this, these sort of bayous were left here for, for war veterans, for, for a lot of people to use and, and get money into this area and get goods and trade the goods. But I don't know. I just really wanted to hear any, any stories you know, anything that ever stuck with you over the years about about Bayou Tesh specifically or about a, a an establishment anywhere along you know from Port Barry to Morgan City so well uh I can only recall my memories of growing up of, of uh, fishing with with uh mom and dad down the the Tesh and and also uh, all these these Chafalai Basin um how important that was just as a uh, as residents of Louisiana, how amazing and uh, this this place is where we live, uh, cane fields and and swampland and and uh, yes, literally the sportsman's paradise as as we as it has been referred to. Um, I, I was thinking uh, earlier today, uh, just little sparks of memories, uh, how important water is or or or, or Growing up next, uh, being a part of the water, uh, being on the water, fishing, and 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 uh, I remember uh, maybe this is not so good, but uh, skipping school because the shrimp were running, and uh, it was very important for us to go fill up the ice chest. So uh, uh, maybe I won't tell that to my kids, but uh, uh, that's uh, that's the importance of water. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta, keep the flow yeah you gotta make hay while the sun's shining <laughs> i guess right. for that but that's right well that's funny you, and you, as you were saying uh, important for commerce and and uh, a livelihood uh for for many people that live down here and depend on that uh i can only hope that uh we can uh turn back the hands of time so to speak with uh polluting the waterways uh it's it's very important for us to come to the realization that that's not good and that's not good for anybody or, or us and for the environment and uh it needs to be turned around some sort of way absolutely more awareness i think that's coming with different pockets all over the globe really mm -hmm. is just just more global 
awareness of, of what's happening to the planet and mm-hmm. the extreme amount of pollution that's happening all over the place doesn't does not help or does not slow things down right either so yeah and i mean anywhere you look in the in the swamps you know it's kind of it's just becoming more and more water each year and it's it's proven that more floods are happening more you know by by anything mm-hmm. our drainage is getting more difficult to I guess somewhat, you know, prevent that, especially, I guess, living in New Orleans and all the, all the sort of city pumps issues we've had over the years. And I just think about that a lot. And it's like, no matter what, you built a machine to do that for you. And it's like, man, you get more and more water. It's still just wearing that machine down. And it's That's like, right. Is that really the machine's fault? Is it really... Well, when you have such a large body of water like the Mississippi River, uh, how do you tame that over time? Um, Certainly the Corps of Engineers rerouted many years ago, uh, uh, I suppose, for commerce. Um, But eventually, over time, it it will move again in, in in an area. And I wonder that is it best or or do we think of new ways to to build our houses for one one example um new construction methods uh, where to build our our homes um as we were to, if we were to dive into important subjects like that a little bit more in depth with open mind um things could could turn around and, and could be better uh, for all of us eventually eventually or for and our... of course uh, you know getting to travel and uh, all over the world to play playing music for the last 30 something years uh, new perspectives and and seeing uh, new ways of doing it new ways meaning different ways go to Europe go to the Netherlands and see how they prevent uh, flooding and their levee systems and and their irrigation so uh more education yeah absolutely and i mean this year alone this hurricane season alone the army corps of engineers was kind of the first test since they built the big levee system after hurricane katrina Mm -hmm. it was sort of with hurricane ida it was their first you know go around since since then and that that hurricane took a similar path it wasn't right on par with what Katrina did or, or could have done in New Orleans, but, uh, or what Hurricane Ida could have done in New Orleans. But, um, it was just interesting, I guess, to say it worked or it, it helped, you mm-hmm. know, it, it slowed this mega force of weather down to where it didn't, I don't know. I, it didn't do what it did to the levees in, in Hurricane Katrina and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's, uh, you know, all things water, it's hard not to think about it. Just, being from Louisiana and, and seeing it if you're driving down the street or if you're, you know, looking outside on a random August day and it's just flooding and you're like, well, I got to move my car. So. Yeah, we lost a car uh, in August of 2016 for that flood. Uh, I went on a tour to uh, the Maritimes. Canada, New Brunswick, uh, Nova Scotia mm-hmm. for three weeks. And, uh, and we parked our car at our good old buddy's house in the mid city. 
And when we got back, there was it was flooded. <laughs> we totaled our car. Yeah. So I remember that. I understand. One. We're also in Mid City this last weekend, and uh, the roads seem to be more like Costa Rican roads. There's gravel everywhere. <laughs> yeah. No, especially in that. And no potholes being filled. I don't understand. But that's more, probably another show. More construction, I, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's people making uh, joke Instagram accounts about the streets of uh, New Orleans. And, and uh, they're so bad, you know, that people can have satire behind it. Yeah. And decorate uh, Christmas trees that are filling the potholes <laughs> in, in my neighborhood. And Amazing. It's it's always something there, but no, and I mean um, back to back to Mozzie and and Palsy, you know, I'm sure what what their ancestors and aunts and uncles and mom and dad sort of went through with with using the bayou that cuts right through sort of Acadiana. Um, I'm sure you know everybody had their own sort of take on it, and I'd, I'd love to hear other generation stories behind it. And yeah, it's sort of used now, I guess for historical leisure but the salt mines that were here and, and right. all the things that were really really benefiting off of that that piece of water you know well and i'm just thinking of uh in terms of the fertility of the soil that's all around these beautiful waterways uh driving here today for this um down the, the old spanish trail from broussard uh it's cane fields and cane fields and cane fields and a few houses sort of mixed into those uh cane fields um i, I would think with mozzie and palsy that coming from more of a farming uh existence uh than than waterways uh it it's all from 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 the silt and and what's flowing from the river so it's all related Right. And I mean, you, you farm as well. So you picked up the yeah. green thumb from sure. both of them, I'm sure. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. so tell us about, I guess, your experience with using Louisiana soil or using the, the water from, from where, you know, you live in Broussard, right? I do. Yeah. And, um, we're sort of on a higher plateau, I think, than everyone uh, in the surrounding areas. Uh, again, in our area uh, with construction um, um, and the housing industry, uh, uh, cane fields are starting to become neighborhoods. So uh, again, back to construction methods, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a lack of, of uh, figuring out how to get the water flowing from neighborhood to neighborhood, basically from sugarcane field to sugarcane field. Uh, it, it, it sort of doesn't make sense in some areas uh, in terms of flooding houses every time there's a two or three inch rain because the neighborhood that was built across the street may be a little bit taller now because they've, they wanted to put a neighborhood there. So, uh, so there's a, a bit of that in our area where it's going on. Other than that, uh, our little almost acre plot that we live on, um, for the sake of not wanting to cut grass, I wanted to to make almost, almost all of the yard uh, a farm or something that I could uh, produce uh, uh, vegetables and citrus and, and things like that. I was inspired by... Um, 
a bass player, uh, musician, a uh, friend of mine. He turned me on to a book called, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember now, Self-Sufficiency or The uh, Secret of Self-Sufficiency or something like that. It, it It's a book about uh, basically creating your whole plot, your land, uh, uh, to, to be a working farm. Uh, not so much... Uh, animals but uh, vegetables and and gardens and and stuff like that so that that was several years ago that I was uh, uh inspired by that book but uh yeah back to Mozzie and Pawsey that they they definitely uh, showed me how to how to turn some soil and and uh, plant seeds and and uh I didn't uh love it so much doing that as a child I felt like it was chores and no kid wants to do chores I just wanted to play accordion and guitars and <laughs> drums and stuff uh but now that i've gotten older and uh uh hopefully a little wiser um and just the inspiration to want to grow my own food uh and then that that leads to well i want to maybe look for some more inspiration and and uh look for other ways or other tools or techniques to farm better that has led me to um, sort of this no-till um, technique of farming. And that really means um, you disturb less of the soil. Uh, you use tools like a broad fork or a, a spade uh, to sort of dig into the soil and break it up gently rather than machinery destroying the permaculture that's below the soil, creating all of these amazing tunnels that the roots of your plants and vegetables follow and, and grow healthier. Um, so, yeah, we can start talking on and on and on and on about this stuff. It's amazing and fascinating. And I, I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's been... Uh, I don't know how to describe a, a life-changing experience um, seeing the differences of farming, uh, whether it be tilling versus uh, a, a no-till, to actually see from season to season, mm -hmm. you know, experimenting with, with different techniques, how different the, your produce comes out and the quality of it. Really? Yeah. There's a, uh, isn't there a film, I think, that was, was, was out, a documentary, I think, on Netflix or something that, that and I don't know the, the name off, off the top of my head, but they kind of were saying the same thing about commercial, sort of Midwest farming, using these, well, these bigger machines. That yeah, are, and there's a bunch of, uh, uh, you can get lost in the rabbit hole of Netflix with the, yeah. those, which I did, <laughs> and uh, was, I thought it was very intriguing and inspiring uh, and eye-opening. Mm -hmm. to uh to see uh, the different styles of farming and and what it does and the impact it makes on the environment um good and bad uh so also back to education i think that that we need to start rethinking how we educate our our children um and and I don't understand why every school sh every school should have a, an agriculture department or some sort of greenhouse. Um, uh, I get so inspired when we when I drive down University and Lafayette and and 
Lafayette Middle has a, a I guess, an ag department, uh, but there's greenhouses and and a garden, and and uh, it, it's very important. If 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 nothing else is important, this is the most important thing: what we eat and what we put in our body and how we consume things, and and the quality of what that is makes a difference to our health in general. That's right. And I mean, cooking with those ingredients, you, you aren't too, uh, (laughs) too shy in the kitchen either. (laughs) I've had some of your dishes and I've had all of the dishes that our family has sort of instilled on us and and sort of the, the recipes that they've fed us over the years that we may have may not have picked up on, you know, um, speaking from personal experience, Mm -hmm. We could watch my dad cook 25 times, but I might make it like that once, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, you learn to adapt and you, you, you switch a couple things up. You try your own ways and that's what I did. But, but you cook some, some incredible <clears throat> dishes with, with all of pretty much all of yourself produce. And I know the restaurant, uh, tons mm-hmm. kind of does, the, does the same, or at one point was maybe using some vegetables from a certain harvest at the restaurant or at least in the dishes that you, you may have cooked in the plate lunches or something, you know? Yes. Uh, and that was part of my, uh, a little bit of a inspiration as well. Um, certainly during COVID or the beginning stages of it, uh, there wasn't very many gigs to play. So I went out in the yard and started farming more and, uh, figuring out how I could, uh, become a market farmer. Um, whether or not I'm there yet, I think it'll take a quite a, a few more seasons for me to get to that point where I'm actually producing that much to provide to a restaurant. But uh, occasionally we'll get a good harvest or we'll grow something specific for the restaurant. Um, uh, this year I'm, I'm doing beets and radish uh, for that, uh, a little bit of onion greens, uh, green onions, and... Uh, Maybe some cabbage I'll supply this year. But, uh, yeah, it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort um, and a bit more manpower than I have at this moment to uh, produce that much. Right. Well, especially, I mean, you, you, you're you doing woodworking. You, uh, you're still playing music. You're still writing music. A bit, you're... yeah. Producing some shows now um, over at the Art Center in Lafayette. Uh, staying busy. It's That's good. great. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you were doing that, I think, right before or right during covid you were doing some crossroad events right or uh yes i've been asked to uh, be the curator and host of the louisiana crossroads music series that that happens at the acadiana center for the arts in lafayette louisiana um and i'm uh, very happy about that honor we did a couple of maybe three shows uh this last summer just to sort of test the waters again uh, there at that time there were uh, restrictions still capacity of the venue right so uh, we decided to focus on booking next season which starts in January and ends in uh, uh, December or so with uh, about six shows kind of spread out through the year um, and we're just wrapping that up uh, hopefully the next day or so and maybe release some names soon nice for that show Nice, no yeah, sneak so, peek. And that's uh, Crossroads is, is much like uh, the, the, you know, the byways and the bayous in, in Louisiana that, uh, that sort of the focus is, is 
is a uh, we, we we sort of all meet at a crossroads at some point, and certainly in Louisiana and Louisiana music, uh, you can ask uh, you can ask someone like Steve Riley how 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 much has he been influenced by by you know Louisiana music, and and you don't have to go very far for inspiration. It's all here already, yeah, and it's all all it all has been here before meaning uh, Dennis McGee and Clifton Chenier and people like that that's come before us. So we sort of all have a crossroads connection. Did you get a chance to see Clifton? I did not. Uh, I saw Old Man Doopsy uh, as a kid uh, quite a few times. But uh, he died in 87, and I was, I don't know how old, 13 or so, maybe 12. So I didn't get a chance to go to any... uh, I didn't get a chance to go to Jay's cockpit. In Kankton? Yeah. But you did see... But I got great photos of that. From, yeah? From the artist Dickie Landry. Wow. Was, uh, was some of the... I saw some footage used in the Clifton... It was a documentary made. Yeah. It was, it was, it was not, not much of a documentary. It was just more of a live show sort of footage. From Jay's. From Jay's. Yeah. I have the same... I have actually that video. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, it starts. It's it's pretty crazy. If for those at home need a, need to borrow the DVD, let me know. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you rent it for a dollar. There you go. No, I remember it as the tightest band that has ever lived. Right. That Clifton had at that point. I think uh, Buckwheat Zotico was playing Hammond B three. I have this little Buck as Senegal my background on guitar. I gotta show you. Yeah. You can see behind that. That's sunny oh, that's Sunny for that one with the Firebird and then uh, yeah. Clifton with the with Sunny the, Landreth the Great. My back. That's one of my favorite uh, images. I think I had to get that from like Todd Ortego or yeah. something, or he like shared it once. But yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's just so much that I want to, you know, ask you. And we've talked so many times. Just, I mean, we're this is. I'm literally speaking to people that that taught me about Louisiana culture. My uncle, my dad, my cousins, my grandparents. So it's for me. It's like I, I want to refocus the questions to where people know you know if they're listening it's like well who are these people kind of but it's in the in a fact that that's where i feel as far as as far as uh being a new host and trying to bring light to such incredible historical things that have happened in this country for for louisiana for many years and uh it's just always great to hear different generations perspectives of of certain things and who knows? I don't. I don't really know if uh, the younger generation below my age is is uh, knowledgeable of it and and paid attention in Louisiana history class because I I probably didn't like I should have. But um, you know, there's just there's so much to so much to cherish over here and and be grateful for. I think and before it before it might not be here before uh, our kids' kids are alive or whatever. You know. Well, uh, it, it's. It's definitely important that our family passes on and on and on. Um, Though we are in a museum at the moment, I feel like our culture is not a museum piece in terms of its living and breathing and happening now. Uh, We we look to our elders and we look to our ancestors of uh, that have come before us um, for guidance and, and knowledge knowledge that may turn into wisdom eventually for us uh but it's it's happening now it's 
it's our culture now. Uh, I would say to those younger or the younger generations that you speak of to, uh, uh, you know, pay a little more attention to uh, to your your history that surrounds you at the moment, wherever you are. Uh, you may find something that that you may find that you're a part of it, or you're you're you may not be related to it, but it's pretty fascinating down here, and right. enjoyable. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean. If you're if you're 21 years old, there's probably a good chance you've been in New Orleans for your spring break or well, whatever. That's right. <laughs> so sure. And if you come you, and see it, if but, you ever had the chance to dance to Keith Frank or something like that, then you know you don't have to be Creole or Cajun to exactly experience it. Exactly. No, I mentioned that on previous episodes. Just if if you were in, I mean, you've traveled to other countries to to share music that was was sort of instilled in in this culture, and they're able to book. A, a Zotico band for one night in Germany. Yeah. They're experiencing something that has been experienced here for so long, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of that, I keep using this term, but it's kind of like a sonic highway of, of what this culture does. It's almost like there's subway systems to all these little pockets all over the world. And yeah. it just comes right back. And I don't know, it's kind of the way I've, I've looked at it at least and in, in hearing, hearing some older, uh, recordings of yeah, i know there's one of clifton at, at montro jazz fest in switzerland and like just hearing the 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 applause mm-hmm. the massive applause yeah, right you, you know if you listen to the whole album it's like track one is really the most probably one of the most interesting thing this crowd has ever seen mm-hmm. and heard and and sort of witnessing in their applause is just so raw and so natural and it's 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 pretty incredible to mm-hmm to hear and to think of and I think around here you know free music has been a a thing for so long and and festivals and and different sort of cultural events yearly annual Boudin Fest or whatever it is you know Mm -hmm. people people might get not burn out totally but they might not cheer as loud as they once did or have that same appreciation for such a niche unique thing Mm -hmm. and uh it's our own folk music and um folk food i guess you know it's all it's all kind of the same thing food and music around here but yeah well uh i remember someone had said this it's hard to be king in your own backyard and i'm not sure who said that to me but and i'm not sure that i quite understand it totally uh but when i i personally have traveled to uh to europe or anywhere else uh the the response of what we're what we're sending to these these amazing people and the energy that they give back to us it's it's unlike any place that you're playing here in Louisiana um first of all it's the gigs are shorter and uh and the and the people are nicer nicer in terms of well they're not we're not uh i, I retract that statement let me start over with my thought I'm I'm thinking that playing here in Louisiana, it's you're if you're a musician and, and a, a band, you're actually part of this bigger energy that's not just a band performing for an audience. The audience is dancing and they they show their appreciation by dancing. And if you ain't a good band, then nobody's dancing. 
that's that's the signs of that. Well, you better go practice and, and play play better, play a better beat. Uh, the difference going to to Germany, for instance, uh, uh, the first time I went there, um, I was traveling with a trio and and I played some accordion music during the set. And the one song that I played, uh, uh, not knowing the first night or the, after the first second night, it kept getting this round of applause from this German audience as if it was the national anthem or, or something like that. Well, the song that I was playing was was a, a Lawrence Walker song, which I think maybe has some German or English background, uh, the Walker family. But it's called the Mamu Two Step, and I find out it was a it was in a movie from the 1960s or something that every German knew it was played at the end credits of this movie, and uh, it was just wild to experience that. It's just this one melody that that. You know, people went nuts for that's crazy <laughs> but how far also how far our culture travels and how how over time it's how much it has traveled right people like clifton chenier that's that's been ambassadors that has taken it all over the world right spreading before, it out before you're able to just like scroll and and see this absurd thing from somebody's iphone on the other side of the planet like people, people were, were still, actually in motion and traveling and right yeah, on the Sonic Highway. Right. Rolling. It's like, how? That's just the only the only question to me is just how, you know, without without any other explanation. It's <clears throat> uh maybe it took a different energy. Maybe they right. had a different energy and a different uh uh reason different reasons for why they did what they did, meaning they got in a plane and hauled ass overseas to play I don't know how many shows and then get back home and and get in a van and drive from Lafayette to Oakland, California to play for their, I'm speaking of Clifton Chenier's band, to play for all of the the uh, the Creoles that left Louisiana, I don't know, back in the, I don't know what the years, but uh, when the industry sort of left Louisiana, they moved to California to work. Uh, so there's pockets of Creoles in Oakland and in uh, Northern California. So Clifton would drive, get back from Europe and get in a van and drive clean across America to go to California to play for a week. And that was his big American tour. And then they'd drive back crossing the desert and and uh, stopping over in, in at Antone's in, uh, in uh, Austin and making it back to play some church fair in Opelousas. <laughs> I don't know. That's Much different, different it times. Is, it is. <laughs> It's, it's you know they're, they're doing the same thing. They're sharing that yeah. that energy, that that show, that music, and uh, but I guess the hustle was was so much different. It meant meant different things to the musicians back then as yeah, as sure. it might today. And yeah. if you're if you're younger or coming up in music, you know, in the in the mid two thousands or or sometime around now, you know, it's just you gotta you gotta almost be care- be more careful today instead of just going out and doing it because that's what you do it's like yeah well you might have different might have some different motives sure if you're if you're doing it for thank you for some uh for some internet presence or if you're doing it you know for that that sponsorship or that whatever it might be well some most of those guys were doing it to 
put gas in the tank to get to the next road, next show on the exactly. road. So much different. It is. But for but for a you know, a European promoter to hear about Louisiana music first. You know, it might have been like you're saying, like it was in a German movie in the credits yeah. or it was somebody that may have traveled here once before and, and saw Jay's uh <laughs> Jay's Lounge. Or well, sure. And what's interesting about uh, South Louisiana is that it's known all across the world, all over the world, as, as a, a French colony, as, as still uh, French speakers here. Uh, so it's very attractive to anyone that's, that's looking for, for an, an indigenous music that, or a, a music that, that is not, you know, uh, 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 worldly uh, pop, meaning popular. It's not pop music, and it ain't no Mickey Mouse music. It's real music from real people that that are living the culture. Right. That's what I guess. I guess sometimes scares me though, and and I feel lucky. I feel grateful to be a younger person that was able to hear the the real stuff, hear the hear the real recordings, understand. I guess their their hardships, what the songs were written about, and <clears throat> the longer you go, I guess the longer the listener disconnects with that way of life, like like blues music, or yeah, the more you know, tens of hundreds of years people go, it's like, well, I hear it, but I'm not connecting with it, or I'm not, you know, it's not popular in my own in my own world, in my own little bubble. But I guess what do you what do you you know, what are you listening to music for in that case? Are you you looking for something new or are you trying to learn about something in the past? It's just some questions, you know. It's a tricky business. Uh, how you enjoy the listening experience is very different from the next person and so on and so on. Um, I, as a musician, enjoy music as an experience uh it's hard for me to to just have it as a background noise because there's plenty of background noise already if you really just stop and listen uh so to to so it's hard for me to not want to focus on just spinning a record and if i do spin the record then i have to listen to both sides but it's just like I can't not focus on it. I have to, I, I take it all in. Right. I hear everything and, and uh, enjoy it like that. That may not be the same experience for, for someone next to me or sitting, you know, some other person. And it may just be background noise to sort of get them through the day of work. Yeah, I don't know. Tricky business. Have you ever, have you ever felt a sense of, I don't know, somewhat, somewhat jaded about, listening to music and you maybe felt like well since i do music all the time my listening pleasure isn't isn't the same as it once was or i need to take a step back and maybe become a fan of well music again, i do or, take a step back a lot and, and a half uh and and i treat a listening experience as an experience as if i'm going to listen to a record i'm going to sit down and listen to it and and Again, not focus on anything else but that. Uh, as far as g being jaded about it or, or as an artist, um, 
I think I'm a snob about music. I like what I like, and 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 if it doesn't hit me in a way that I I want to feel it, uh, then I I don't listen to it. I move on. There's plenty of music out there to listen to, and and uh, I find more and more uh, my taste um, have have been moving toward. Uh, uh, non-American music, or, or even, even, even by talking about blues, I think not to be uh, critical about the new blues that's being made these days, but it's not the it's not the Howlin' Wolf that I remember. It's not the Muddy Waters kind of blues that I remember. Um, so I'm finding other places in the world that that interest me in in music, and one is West Africa, and the uh, the music that comes from there is is I I feel and I, I may describe it as sort of an original blues because it it sort of is and and uh, at least how it sounds to me. So, um, do you have any example? You can uh, fiddle around. Well, with? I can't fiddle or play any of it. I'm just still very much a fan of this right. music and right. uh, and not too fanatical about it, but I do appreciate it and I love it. Mudu Mukhtar is one of the yeah. artists. That, yeah, I'm thinking of. <clears throat> I've so. I've watched all of their videos actually, and yeah. and they do, they do a lot of DIY like Nigerian shows and you know old instruments, old cameras, yeah. old PA systems, yeah, just, right. just as raw as it gets. What a funkiness to it! I, I got it. to see that band at Festival International. They came. Uh, yeah, me too. Maybe one of the last ones, I guess. Yeah, eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, and uh, man. Just good stuff. Incredible. They're playing with a lot of newer bands, too, and a lot of newer psychedelic American bands, mm -hmm. you know, that I listen to on, on certain festival lineups. They're on the same bill. And yeah. It's kind of cool. Aren't they with a label that's uh, here in the States, maybe? That makes sense. Something like that. That makes sense. So, great band. It is. Great music. I can't wait for Festival International again to, to teach me about a new band from another country. Yeah, right. I, at least since I've gone to that as a kid, I feel like I've come out with a new international band that I can listen to every year. Um, well, if I can help uh, and point you in a, another direction, uh, our our best resources are usually human resources here in South Louisiana. And uh, one being Cecil Doyle at KRVS Studio in Lafayette. Um, World, uh, Earth Beat is one of his programs, and he's always playing uh, international music on that program and, and interesting music. And uh, um, so that's a that's a source that you can you can tune in. And, Absolutely, his uh, medicine and get your fix. His medicine ball medicine show, medicine ball caravan show, as just well. got uh, added an hour. Is they, that right? Yeah, he just actually announced that. Wow. Well, there you go. Eleven to one now, not eleven to noon. So cool. Get a whole nother hour. He's a friend of ours. He's actually played some. Uh, he loves your band. Some Iceman on his That's show. That's right. Him and uh, Mr. Bill Bolins. They, yep. They keep it rice. real. They keep it real with us. Yeah. But that's. I think Louisiana radio, honestly, is is next level. Some of the most. Interesting like nothing stuff. Else. Some of them, I yeah. mean, New, New Orleans to say there's two stations, and then obviously Lafayette, you can catch a, a few stations, and, and yeah. K Bon alone 
is is an experience every time I turn that yeah. station on and uh shout out all the people at K Bon. We're gonna we're gonna get y'all on this podcast soon, we promise. There you go. We have to have to combine forces sooner than later. But yeah, I always just I, I learn so much and I pull out my phone, I'm like, Oh wait, I wanna Shazam this and then before you know it it's Shazam can't even find it. It's like this yeah. is so this is so old or so <laughs> rare. It's like I don't I don't know what this is. Break out the forty fives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I got to go to uh, TUL in New Orleans once and saw their whole record collection. And mm-hmm. it's in the middle of of Tulane's quad, and uh, mm-hmm. it's awesome. It's they Pretty got cool, a, huh? they got a really great collection. And then uh, of course K Bone, you know their their studio out in Eunice is one of a kind. One of a kind, that's for sure. Got some rare photos of the family on the walls over there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I know. Uh, I know Pauzy's proud of that. Every time he hears hears his boys on the radio, and well, how about another? How about another little tune? Sure, I think I might have one more in, some, in me somewhere. Uh, not playing so much music or with a full band, I sort of had to, sort of wanted to relearn some of these tunes that I perform with a full band, and to do that, I had to maybe. Sort of rearrange them a bit, so this is one that I rearranged a little bit in the stylings of uh, a Chuck Berry.
girl, I love you so. Girl, I love you so. What's the name of that one? That's called Majoli. And that's off of uh, the newest. That's off of a recording called Gulfstream. That was recorded in 2017, I think, was released in 2017. And we went all the way to Hollywood, California for a couple of Grammy nominations for the record. So that was pretty fantastic. Very nice. That is a that is a great record. I, I love, uh, you know, you being able to to play our festival the last couple of years. I, I had gotten a chance to curate a a festival playlist, and you know, I always always enjoy coming across my family members' music on on big streaming platforms. Right and, on. Uh, you know, tens I don't know of if, dollars. Yeah, right. I don't know <laughs> if you printed any uh, any vinyl to that one, but I got to get my hands on some vinyl if you ever yeah get. i need to figure that out the only vinyl that i have uh still is uh from 30 plus years ago i think <laughs> yeah they're actually there's, making new ones i know it's amazing there's a uh rec- record press in new orleans new orleans record press that's seriously they've been working around the clock for about a year i'm pretty sure just non-stop prints oh wow they have a night shift they have a day shift they yeah. just so many orders, so many people putting money into vinyls, repressing old issues, doing doing really creative things with with the vinyl market, and it's it's kind of nice. It's it's showing me that there's some people out there that still want to buy into music and yeah. buy into the novelty of owning a piece of of art and a piece of music, and uh, not just listening to it on this sort of cloud thing that that just exists right you know? well I, I and back to experiencing music i think for me it's a that's how i grew up experiencing music and and to to go back to that and spin records that's uh that's the most enjoyable for me uh i love the sound of the needle when it pops and uh sometimes i get to scratch the music you know <laughs> if i want you can't do that with a disc. Yeah, they, and I mean, again, they're, they're just still, they're using the old presses on new pieces of music, and I think that's yeah. that's such an interesting twist on things. Yeah. And, uh, a band I, I like from Australia, you know, reprints certain albums and, and releases their rights to let the fans print certain albums and make their own artwork and released the album in Hindu and all kind of, oh, I actually wow. own one of them. That's the, all the fonts in Hindu. And it's, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know if that's going to one day be worth more, but maybe, or maybe just because it was made, it's, you know, there's only a certain amount of them. And yeah, I think people, people invest into that. They, they yeah. like the novelty aspect still. And that's a, that's a good thing. But yeah, I mean, Listening to Gulfstream over the years, and and listening to La Louisiane sessions, and knowing knowing the hard work that's gone into both of those albums, I think it's it's incredible. It's something to be proud of for for all of Louisiana music. And well, thanks, Hunter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm a fan by blood, but <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, I was always I was always the one sneaking into y'all shows anyway. That's right. So that's right. And what a fantastic drummer you've come to be. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit different music. Laying it down. A little bit, but still Louisiana. Yeah, I think. still the same. Yeah, four on the floor. That's it. That's it. And uh, a whole nother bit of culture that's coming behind our community and our mm-hmm. family with with our project out in Oakdale and mm-hmm. and what we've done in New Orleans with with some artistic people is just to me it's it's like you said earlier it's like well maybe you're a part of it maybe you are a part of this newer regeneration of the of the culture instead of this you know outdated thing that your parents or your grandparents used to listen to it's like well you got to you got to reinvent it you got to re you know well, find it, something that keeps it rolling it always it's always cyclic and uh certainly our culture has been that way and and it it has had a renaissance with uh people like zachary richard and michael Doucet traveling to france and uh back in those days and and uh, uh relearning what their culture was at that time in their lives and and being re-inspired by french people playing their own music of of you know dennis mcgee and people that that their elders so yeah sometimes it takes a little kick in the butt to uh sort of re-inspire some people to to to, uh make your culture better or whatever right (laughs) no i I appreciate you coming out today and and you know it's always it's always good to hang with you and i'm sure i'm sure getting closer to the holidays and we'll see each other again over over some good food maybe some fresh seafood from, I uh, sure hope so. From from Delcom Direct Seafood, you know that's that's kind of that's where we've been holding it down. That's home base. All right, we're going to be out there on uh, their last market of the year, December fourth. We're going to be talking to a lot of people out there, whoever wants to come and tell us about their products and stuff. But hopefully, get a get an ice chest full of shrimp too for a Christmas gumbo. That would that would be nice. Gotta I'm think, there. Got to think about that. Sounds delicious. All right, Hold the Gravy podcast. You've been listening to myself and Mr. Roddy Romero gracing us with some awesome tunes, some some very unique versions. You want to take us out one more time? He is my blood. He is my uncle. I don't know what more to say. If you've ever heard of Louisiana music, you've most likely came over this name and listened to some songs or some projects that he has worked on. And We were so honored that he brought his guitar out and played for us during the interview. But if you haven't heard any of his recorded music, this here is one of my favorite songs Going to close out this episode off of his Grammy-nominated album, The La Louisiane Sessions. This song's called Hang My Head. Let the sun set on my neck 
heavy with regret Remembering all I've done And the people that I met Hope that you will see me 